Once again, good morning, everybody. This is one of our all-church services. About every three weeks or so, we don't teach Sunday school for the little kids or have youth group. What we do every third week is we have everybody together, kids, adults. I think it's good that we do this. I think it's good that kids can have their own special learning time. That's important. But one of these days, they're going to be with us together. And I don't want it to be a shock when they're 18 and blink their eyes and what's this? I mean, we are a church family. This is what we do. And so uh, on these special days, we have kids with us. We love to have them. Can we give it up for our kids and thank them for being here this morning? And kids, you have your own special set of notes. So make sure mommy and daddy help you get your own special set of notes and crayons because during my talk today, I'm going to have you turn to certain pages in your notes and do some coloring. So have that and get ready. We're working our way through the book of Acts on Sunday morning, and we've gotten now to Acts chapters 11 and 12. And what I'm going to do is summarize most of the story that's in Acts 11 and 12. And then I'm going to highlight one of the people featured in these chapters. And we're going to drill down into his life. And more importantly, we're going to see how his life can relate to our life today. So that's where we're headed. Chapter 11 begins with the story of Peter defending his decision to baptize Gentiles. If you remember last week in chapter 10, it was a very big deal. Gentiles, for the first time, a Gentile means a non-Jew, anybody other than a Jew, for the first time became part of the church of Jesus. And it was a very big deal because of the chasm, the separation that had been there for millennia between Jews and everybody else. And so chapter 11 starts with Peter having to defend his decision to baptize these Gentiles. It was a very big deal. So the other leaders call him in. They say, we heard you went into the house of a Gentile. We heard you baptized him. What's that all about? And then Peter had to say why he did it. And the amazing part of the story is the leaders all given unanimous amen. It was the right thing to do. Now, if you've ever been around church very long, it is amazing to get any two people to say a unanimous amen to anything, much less a whole group of leaders that are strong with their own opinions, all of that, for them all to say, yes, this is God. Well, God must have wanted that to happen, and he took every measure to make it happen. He chose Peter who was universally respected. He had Peter go with a group of other people who could back up his story. He had a vision that Peter got not once, not twice, but three times. And the third time he got the vision, Gentiles were at the door saying, come and talk to us. He had the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles, and they began to speak in tongues just as all of the leaders had back in Acts chapter 2. God must have really wanted everybody to say, yep, 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 yep. The gospel is now for everybody, everywhere in the world. And then chapter 11 shifts to a man named James. And James is arrested. He's one of the original 12. He's arrested by Herod, and they kill him. He is executed. 
And then Peter is arrested, and they intend to kill him too. But an angel of God intervenes. Peter is rescued instead. But because he's rescued, the guards who are supposed to guard him, they get executed. Now, it's quite a story. And really, at the heart of the story is God's sovereignty. When we went through a series called The Story, I talked about how God was, was in the upper story, how God, from where his position is in heaven, is able to look down on everything, everybody all around the world for past and for present. And God's able to orchestrate events in the lower story to bring his will to pass. And we who live in the lower story, we don't get a lot of times what God's doing in the upper story. So think about it for a moment. Were they not praying for James also? Did James have no one to pray for him? Was not James loved by the others? Sure he was. They were praying, God, save James. And what happened? James is killed. And they're praying, God, save Peter. And God does save Peter. But when he does, these other people... They all get executed because they were the ones who let Peter go. And so, like, when God answers one prayer, it affects somebody else and affects somebody else, and it affects his plan. So we're thinking, God, you should do this. And when he doesn't do it, we're devastated. You know what we learn in Acts chapter 11? You pray fervently and leave the results with God who's in the upper story and knows better. Thank you. There's another interesting part to that story. They're praying, Lord, set Peter free. Lord, free Peter. And then Peter gets free. And he goes and he knocks on the door. They say, someone's at the door while we're praying in faith for Peter to be freed. And so a woman named Rhoda goes to the door. She hears Peter outside. It's Peter. She runs back into all these men and women of God who are praying in faith. And she says, Peter's free. They say, you're crazy can't be him. Wait a minute, aren't you praying for him? And yet he's free and you don't even believe it? What do we learn with that? I guess we learn if you have a little mustard seed of faith mixed with a whole lot of, you're kidding. God will even respond to that. The story goes on to tell in Acts 11 and 12 about this guy, Herod, who is this evil king who executed James, God executes him. Herod's up speaking. People start to say, Herod, you're all that in a bag of chips. It's the voice of God and not of man. He doesn't give God the glory, and he's struck dead by God. Now, sometimes we wonder why God doesn't judge sin in this world. And we think, it's not fair these people are getting away with all of these things. Everything will be fair in the end. God will be the fair God of all the universe. And sometimes it's in this lifetime, but sometimes people have to give a reckoning for what they've done in the life to come. It's true. And then 11 and 12 tells us that the gospel, despite all this, keeps going into all the world. But I'm going to focus this morning and the time we have together on one person in Acts chapter 11 and 12, one that maybe you haven't heard of or maybe focused on very much. His name was Barnabas. Would you go ahead and roll that video, please? 
According to Acts chapter 4, Barnabas was born here in Cyprus, probably in the city of Salamis. Therefore, this entire missionary journey was a homecoming of sorts. Barnabas would have known many of the Jews here and all the synagogues in the area. He was also a strong personality, the son of encouragement, the perfect right-hand man for the Apostle Paul. As we'll learn later in Acts, Barnabas would leave Paul's missionary team and return to Cyprus and help lead the church here at Salamis. Barnabas was a very popular leader. In fact, ancient church sources record that Barnabas was considered the first bishop of Salamis. Barnabas was murdered here in about 61 AD by a mob stirred up by Bar-Jesus or Elymas, the same false prophet that caused issues during Barnabas and Paul's first missionary journey to the island. According to ancient sources, Barnabas was preaching at a synagogue in Salamis when a mob attacked him, dragged him out with a rope around his neck, and killed him. These same sources tell us that John Mark, who also happened to be the cousin of Barnabas, collected the body of Barnabas and buried him in this area. Only a small portion of this massive catacomb complex has been excavated. This necropolis of tombs is covering centuries of burials here, both before and after Barnabas. One section here is known as the Royal Tombs, where they have discovered elaborate ancient burials, complete with chariots and horses. Beneath this chapel is the traditional location for the tomb of Barnabas a great hero of the Christian faith. It is a somber location like this that reminds us of the all-in commitment of the first followers of Jesus. The legacy of St. Barnabas continues to be an inspiration for many Christians, even to this day. Kids, in your notes on the very front page is the name Barnabas. And it's written in a number of different ways. And you can practice writing his name now and, and coloring in his name as we begin to talk about him. Barnabas wasn't his real name. His name was Joseph. But they nicknamed him Barnabas. Now, some of you had nicknames growing up. Uh, hopefully, they were encouraging nicknames. Uh, but his name was Joseph. But there was something about him that was just so stood out that they just, the apostles just said, nope, we're not going to call you Joseph anymore. We're going to call you Barnabas. The name Barnabas means the son of encouragement. You are the kind of guy that whenever you get around, everybody's lifted up. You're the kind of guy that's always encouraging us. When we feel like giving up and we feel like quitting, you come in the room, Joseph, we're going to call you Barnabas, and we all keep going. None of us are going to stop. None of us are going to quit. You're the son of encouragement. And the two Greek words that are put together, son of encouragement, are the same two Greek words that are put together a little different way for the Holy Spirit, someone who comes alongside of you and encourages you to keep going. Barnabas was that. 
And if there's one thing that I think we desperately need right now in our world that we live in is some people like Barnabas who are willing to encourage other people. Has anybody been discouraged in the last month? You've been discouraged. Raise your hand. Anybody been discouraged in the last week? Uh, me, I got both hands up. And there's a lot of people that will come along and add to your discouragement, but there aren't many that will come alongside and put their arm around you and say, you can make it. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You're called of God. Uh, don't give up. Don't quit. I'm here for you. Barnabas showed us how to do that. So this morning, really quickly, we're going to look at four things that Barnabas did that made him a son of encouragement, that if you do, you will be the kind of person that everybody needs and everybody wants to have around. We read about him very, uh, the first time we read about him is back in Acts chapter 4, and it tells us the story of the fact that he sold some land that he had, I guess he had some money, and he brought the money from what he sold, and he gave it to the apostles and said, if there's people in the church that are poor and needy, use this money to encourage them. So we learned this. We can encourage by our generosity. Have you ever been in need of something? Have you ever felt like, I don't have enough to get by, I'm hurting? Have you ever had a dream or a vision, you wanted to do something for God and you didn't have the resources, but somebody came alongside and just said, here, I, I'm giving you this, the Lord laid this on my heart for you, and when he did that or when she did that, you were so encouraged that, that God heard your prayers, that God cared about you. You, through your generosity, to en can encourage people in a way you can't possibly imagine. The average person in America, we know from statistics, gives away 2% of their disposable income to charity, and I'm glad for that, and I'm glad that helps people. But I read this week a story of Julia and Jeff Kaufman. In a little over a decade, now these people, I'm going to call them the couple of encouragement. In a little over a decade, they have donated half of their income to charity. I read that and I just like did a double blink. Who does that? Who in the world gives away half of their income to encourage people through charity? That's a total of $585,000. She's a social worker. He's a computer programmer. They said this, we have everything we need, so it makes sense to us to share with people who don't. They have two little children, and their goal is that they'll encourage them growing up to think that this is a normal part of life, encouraging other people through generosity, through generosity. The second thing you can do to encourage people is by believing that God gives people second chances, and that is something that Barnabas did. Saul the Apostle 
Saul became Paul the Apostle, became a Christian. We read his story recently. And after he became a Christian, he went to Jerusalem, but the church leaders, they didn't want anything to do with this guy Saul because he was previously killing Christians. Now he says his name is Paul, and he is a Christian. What? Well, we don't trust this guy. And he wanted to come and meet the Christian leaders, but they're all nervous about him except Barnabas. Barnabas takes him, the Scripture says, when he came to Jerusalem and tried to join the church. They're all afraid of him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord doesn't tell us the details, but it must have gone like this. Nobody will give Saul a second chance except Barnabas. He says, Saul, can we have some coffee? I don't know what they drank back then, but I want to meet with you. Tell me your story. What happened? How did you meet Jesus on the road? How was your life transformed? And he must have listened carefully and listened to the Holy Spirit and said, Spirit of God, is this real? Is this man authentic? Yeah. Come with me, Saul. I know all the apostles. I'm taking you with me. Hey, guys, he's okay. Give him a chance. He's the real deal. And they trusted Barnabas so much that if Barnabas said, Saul's okay, If Barnabas said he gets a second chance, then come on in. You want to be a son or a daughter of encouragement? Believe that God can give people a second chance and maybe a third and maybe a fourth. And then you be the one to intervene and say, guys, let's don't give up. Let's don't turn away. He means it. He's sorry. He's repentant. Let's give him another chance chance. There's a third way. You can be a son of encouragement. You can be a daughter of encouragement. You can encourage people through your words and by your example. In chapter 11 and verse 19, it says this. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then when news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that with all purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Kids, open your notes up to the inside. On your left-hand side of your notes, you're going to see Barnabas encouraging by his generosity. But on the right-hand side of your notes, you're going to see Barnabas encouraging by giving Saul a second chance. A second chance. And on the back of your notes, you're going to see the fact that 
he encouraged by his words and by his example. You're going to see the scripture that says, encourage one another and build up one another. And I want that, kids, to be your memory verse for this week. Encourage one another and build up one another. Have mom and dad help you memorize that this week. If you want to have a life that encourages other people, you have to do it by your words and by your example. They've done research on this, and they've studied that for people to feel encouraged, you're going to need to say five encouraging positive things to them. For every one time, you have to speak into their life saying, hey, shut the door, or hey, did I not tell you uh, before about this, or whatever you have to say to them, you know, because we live life with people. has to be five encouraging to one not so encouraging. But you know what the ratio that most of us have with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, is one encouraging word to three of the other. But to be a son of encouragement, to be a daughter of encouragement, that has to change. It has to be our words and our examples saying things that build people up and not tear them down. Today's Father's Day. So let me encourage our dads, especially our dads who have young children. Your words and your example have an outsized, oversized response. Studies say that kids who grow up with an encouraging dad are less likely to drop out of school, less likely to end up in jail. When children have a close relationship with an encouraging father, they're less likely to get involved in high-risk behavior, more likely to grow up and have healthy, stable relationships, more likely to have higher IQ. Can you believe that? If they have a father in their life who encourages them and puts his arm around them and says, you can make it, you can do it, I believe in you. Colossians 3.21 says, fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and quit trying. My kids were little. Uh, I had a little song I would sing to them when I would tuck them in bed at night. Uh, I didn't write the song. My tune was not the best, but it was from my heart. And my song went like this. Champions never give up. They get up. Champions never give up. No way. Champions never give up. They get up. They get up and they continue on their way. That was my little song. And it got better. I mean, I would, you know, sing it in different keys or off key or whatever. But uh, whenever they would have an issue in life, I'd remind them, son, daughter, champions never give up. They get up. You get up. You get up. You keep going. You're not done. It's not over. You struck out. You can do it. You can get it next time. They need a lifetime of that kind of encouragement. And there's one more way that we encourage people, that you can be a son or daughter of encouragement. You can encourage people by inviting them to do ministry with you, inviting them to come along and serve God in some capacity like you are doing. It says in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, chapter 12, verse 25, Barnabas 
departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. God was doing great things in a place called Antioch. Barnabas was there seeing all the great things that were going on. He decided, I remember that guy Saul. Remember the guy I brought to the apostles and said, he's okay? It's been about seven years since I've seen him. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on a ship and get him. And I'm going to ask him to come back here to Antioch. And then I'm going to ask him to do ministry with me. When I was 25, 25, 24, I was 24. When I was 24 years old, I was a brand new Christian. I'd been a Christian about three years. Wanted to serve God. I didn't know how. Uh, there was a man named Francis Enfuso. Francis was an evangelist. He would travel to churches and preach. He wrote a, an evangelism seminar that he would teach in churches. I met Francis. We got to know each other. And one day Francis said, Gary, come with me when I go and preach in churches. I said, okay. So I would go with him when he would preach in churches. He would do this amazing nine-hour seminar. He was an amazing speaker. I would go out with him to have coffee with the pastors, dinner with the pastors. And we did this all around America. And after a few months, he said, Gary, now I want you to preach one of the messages. Okay. So there were nine hours of it. I got to do one hour. I'm ready. So I studied it. I practiced it. I had it down. And I got up and I did my one-hour message. And then Francis said, that was really good, Gary. And then uh, he got up and did the rest of it. And then we got back to the hotel room. He encouraged me with five encouraging words. That was good. You did good. Way to go. But no, don't do it that way. And that's not in the Bible. And when you said that, that was wrong. And, but, but you did a great job. I'm with you. I encourage you. He was that kind of guy. And then he let me do two messages, then three, then four. After a year, I did the entire seminar. He sat in the front row and watched. And then he called up churches and he said, you know, I'm busy. I can't make it. But I have an associate who can come. And that was the start of me being involved in ministry. That was the start of me traveling 120 days a year all around the world, preaching in churches and becoming a pastor because somebody who was doing ministry said, you come and do it with me. What do you do for the Lord? Do you teach Sunday school? Are you an usher? Are you a greeter? What do you do for the Lord? Find somebody who needs encouraging and say, you know what? Do this with me. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you do it next to me and see how it's done and see if God doesn't spark in their heart a desire to want to do it too. Amen? Daniel and Allie, will you please come back? Barnabas was the son of encouragement. The word encouragement, I told you, comes from two Greek words, parakletos, which means we also use for the Holy Spirit, one who comes beside us. We're going to take communion now. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to encourage us so that we can be an encouragement to other people. Let's sing through this song one time.
And then after we do, I'm going to lead you in communion. Parents, you decide if your children are of the right age to take communion with you. You decide if they are uh, able to understand the gospel and have received Christ into their life. But let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Amen.